Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, The The Pro Pro Wrestling Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville. It's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. Welcome to Working Fans Presents. And I'm a little nervous for this episode today because this is something outside of our regular wheelhouse. I am going to be interviewing Naomi from the Colton, Connecticut podcast. Now, I've had some technical difficulties, so we're not going to have a video of her up. But I'm going to put up the logo from her podcast because, frankly, this is something you need to check out. But Naomi, thanks for joining us and give the people a little rundown of what your show is all about. Sure. This is a podcast about the religious group that I grew up in, located in Norwich, Connecticut. And then there was a sister church, quote unquote, a sister church, a second church in Mansfield Woodhouse in England, in the UK. And this church is basically weird. As hell. Weird is an understatement. (laughs) I don't know. What would you call it? (laughs) What are the descriptive words you would use? I guess unique, wild. I don't know. Captivating. I don't know. Uh, Abusive. Abusive. Yeah, that's, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. You use the term cult in the title, but there's definitely like a cult of personality. I've got a ton of questions about Gene because... We got to start somewhere. There's a lot to talk about here. The story is basically about, well, the first season is basically talks about this person. This is, there's a prophet. And what's weird about this particular cult, I think a lot of cults are, could be, you know, have some similarities, but this particular cult is different because there's a woman, a female at the top from England. And so it's this British grandmother lady who kind of basically rules this congregation, all the different members, all of their lives. And she rules their lives with literally like mental torture and torment. She torments them mentally. So that's how she controls all of the the members is this grandma from England. And she's this prophet that hears directly from God. And she hears things like, hey, God is telling me I'm hearing this about you before we get into the bulk of this interview let me play a quick intro video and then we will jump into kind of what we now what makes this interview so different from most of the interviews we do is naomi and i actually went to school together and i discovered this podcast right around i think when we were starting ours because i remember seeing that somebody i went to school with had a podcast and i'm like i have to check that out And then the first thing I was jealous of was the audio quality. This thing (laughs) sounds like NPR, and that is great. And then you get into the storytelling, which you feature each member's stories in an episode. And the storytelling is so captivating, but I think the pain almost trumps the storytelling. Like, would you agree? Or how do you feel this the episodes come across it's very dark it is nightmare fuel just especially working on the latest episode faith's episode in season two i had to listen to it to work on it you know for i had to listen to it like 20 times and i'm telling you i was having (laughs) so many nightmares and it just it's dark it's dark stuff it's not fun it's like not a fun, happy, light project. It's definitely dark. It's definitely trigger warning for any trauma survivors or cult survivors or it, like honestly any trauma survivors, but anybody. It's just 
a lot of people have told me like, I, I am not ready to listen to it yet. Or I listened to it a little bit and had to like take breaks. It's okay to take frequent breaks. It's pretty dark stuff. It's just dark subject matter, you know, but it's important. It's an important story. It is like when I heard about it, I, I had no idea this group existed. So like I told a friend of mine about it and he goes, oh yeah, I remember that group from high school. And I'm like, I don't remember a cult at all. How, like, we'll, we'll start with question one. High school is different for anyone. How did you make it through going through high school when you have to deal with all of, all of this? Because, you know, they, they house themselves as like a religious group, but then it gets so much deeper than that. How do you make it through high school? Cause like, I feel like I barely made it through high school and I feel well adjusted <laughs> as opposed to like listening to this. I know. Yeah. Well, uh, I, ha I have a hard time. Like one of my trauma symptoms is memory loss. So I, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's so crazy. I'd like to say a, a special shout out to our class, our graduating class of our high school, because I, they've been so supportive and these people, I, it's really hard for me. I feel a little insecure about this. I don't have a ton of memories from my childhood or from high school. I remember a few things here and there, but my, my brain just blocked it out because I was in survival mode so much. I was just so afraid to make the wrong move, I, you know, to do anything right or wrong. Like I didn't know I, anything from this group could be perceived as a sin. And these sins were very intangible. Like it wasn't like I was actually doing something wrong. It was, you have pride in your heart. You're thinking a bad thought. You're bad. And so they could come and punish you and interrogate you and target you for any reason. So I had to really watch what I was doing at all times. But I'm so thankful for a few things, especially in high school and in middle school, I had, you know, Mrs. Bush, I don't know if you remember her from, she was like my English teacher and my uh, like drama teacher and we did summer theater. And I was, I'm really lucky that I had hobbies that kind of helped a little bit with, like, I loved music. I loved choir. I loved, so I was like in chamber choir. I was in choir. I was in the, the theater, you know, I was in the plays and I took piano and singing lessons from Mr. Churchill. And I swear, like Mr. Churchill was kind of a miracle for me because I spent so much time under his, you know, teaching in his classes. And he, he really, I don't know, like he demanded a lot from his students, but he wasn't mean about it. It's like, you just wanted to do your best for him because you respected him and he was a great, you know, leader, but he wasn't like the King's Chapel group where everyone was just like, you know, threatening you that you're going to go to hell and you're going to, you know, be, you know, God is going to hate you and you're going to lose everything. So. I just, that having him as a teacher helped. And so Mr. Churchill, and then, you know, so my hobbies helped. I was still in survival mode. I was still in like constant fear and, pa and paranoia and things like that. I did have an eating disorder during that time that nobody knows about. This is the first time I'm talking about it. And then I had a school friend that she had a really nice family. Do you remember Amber? Yes, I do. Yeah, Amber and her family. I, I loved Amber and Danielle. They were twins. And I, they are twins. And <laughs> I loved Amber. And she became kind of like a sister to me, a school friend that I was able to try to get over to her house as much as possible to spend as much time with her family as possible. And she had like a nice, normal, healthy, quote unquote, family. So I was able to kind of be able to kind of relax when I was over there in that environment. So I, I was lucky to have some of these little miracles that I had in my life to help me not completely lose, you know, my mental health and everything. So that's how I got through it. And then I escaped when I was 18 and I escaped and, you know, my family cut ties with me and I had to start completely over. I didn't know anybody. And I went to Southern and I was the only, the only other person that went to Southern with me was Matt Case. And he, oh, wow. we both were in the theater program, but I ac actually ended up having to drop out of the theater program because I had to have like three jobs while I was in college. So I wasn't able to, to be involved, you know, and to do all the things that I wanted to do. So I ended up having to change my major and everything. And that really changed the course of my life. So then I ended up moved, uh, pursuing music and I ended up moving to Nashville. And the whole time from the time I got out up until now, or recently until I started doing Colton, Connecticut, I really 
kept everything just stuffed down. I just kept, and you know, when people would ask me about my family, my childhood, you know, my upbringing, I always felt so uncomfortable because I've always felt different than anyone else I've met because they don't, I have this like secret. It's like this dark secret that I'm not like sharing with people openly because I'm really just being like, yeah, I had a religious upbringing and just not really getting into it. And it really did set me up for all kinds of weird stuff in my life to not really face the truth about what this thing was. And because I, you know, just kind of living in denial or just stuffing it down or whatever, I just, it wasn't helping me face some of these trauma symptoms that I was experiencing, like depression, anxiety, just all kinds of things. I wasn't understanding why I was going through all of these things. And because I wasn't facing what was really, really the truth of what, of my childhood, of this thing that I was a part of, this thing that I was born into and grew up in. So when I had, when I got pregnant, when I, when I had both of my children, both of the pregnancies of my children, that was when I really had this perspective. It's almost kind of like I became like this mama bear. And I realized that what happened to this little innocent baby, which was me, was not okay. And it was not, not healthy and it was not okay. And I was innocent and it shouldn't have happened to these children and not just the children, the adults too, but just you know, talking about my own, you know, my own healing. I just like, as I gave birth to these little innocent babies and, you know, they're so innocent and full of life and exuberant. And I'm realizing that I was really, really oppressed. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about because so, and I'm so thankful that a lot of people have been reaching out to me since my podcast has, you know, aired. And a lot of people from high school, a lot of people from our community, and a lot of people say, they didn't have any idea how bad this was. They just thought it was like a religious church, but they really flew under the radar. They really operated under the radar and people just thought that they were just religious and just a normal, like kind of extra religious church. But really there was some really heinous things going on behind the scenes. And I truly believe I have not gotten to the bottom of it. I really, really know in my, in my gut, I believe I haven't gotten to the bottom of the abuse that happened within this church. And it, it kind of is like driving me a little batty because these people don't really seem to want to talk about it and they don't seem to want to share and they don't want to come forward and talk about it. And, and I'm having a hard time really kind of understanding why, but I, back to what I was going to say was that some of the people that have come just reached out to me and connected with me from high school. They're like, I remember you as this and this and this. So I want, I wanted to ask you, how do you, do you remember me at all? And like, how do you remember me? Because I think it's so interesting because I don't actually have a ton of memories from high school and childhood. So do you remember me? I, because I went to, I believe it was one birthday at Amber and Daniel's house. And I remember you there because when you bring them up, I'm like, oh, I do remember you going to a party there. And you were, were you part of the audio video club as well? Or did you just yes. do some things? Yes, I did. I, I was. See, I don't remember a ton about you because I, I remember you as being quiet, like to yourself, but I remember you being a part of that AV club and looking at that and being like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, I think I was a little too much more of a troublemaker than to get into that. Like I had a radio and TV class that I loved, but like, I remember looking up to that and being like, Oh, that's so cool. She can do that. And yeah, I remember you as being really quiet and I think it might be a symptom of kind of what the group did, like having you guys, keep so to yourselves that I mean you talk at one point about not being able to really make friends unless you could get them into the group or bring them in them actually I think that was in somebody else's episode but how did you make yeah. friends outside of the group like that almost seems like a her Herculean task to pull off yeah it was really really difficult to uh, it was a common theme that it was a common thing. So even if it was in someone else's episode, it, it was my story as well that I can definitely relate to that. And I'm sure a lot, probably all of the children in the group could relate to that, that we were taught and gained that everyone else aside from us did not know the truth that we are the light on the hill. We are the only church 
that is the right church. Like any other church in the community, any other Christian is not right with God. We're the only ones that have the true, and I know, I'm sure that that's very common with a cult, but what's weird is, is that they wouldn't allow us to really have school friends. If we had school friends, friends from school, then we had to really make sure that our heart was in the right place, that we're always constantly trying to bring them into the fold, that we're constantly trying to see if they have a relationship with Jesus, quote unquote, and to make sure that, you know, it's that we're friends with them for the right reasons and that we're always trying to bring them to church. And I feel really bad about this. I talk to Amber about this all the time, but I did try to bring her to church because that was what I was trained to do. And she did come for just a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I'm thankful that she didn't get sucked into it because I would have that, that guilt of, I can't believe I actually sucked someone into this. I'm really thankful. I don't have that guilt. But you guys were trained as kids to do that. So, like, I don't think you can necessarily hold hold that against yourself. I mean, thank yeah. God you didn't pull a friend in. But I mean, I, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much over it because a, a lot of what this group was telling you, they were teaching you what they wanted you to know. And it seems like a lot of the other details are left out. Like, we're not going to get into specific episodes on this because we want you to listen I'm trying to like re get to know somebody I went to high school with and see what they went through because the pain that you outline in these episodes, it's different for each person, but there are some things that are very similar. Well, I wanted to just go back really quick to tell you, this is really crazy that you said that I was basically like quiet and reserved and like to my, and to myself. So someone said that to me recently from our high school. Someone said to me, what I remember about you, this is how I could describe you, is you were kind of closed off, distant, shy, to yourself, quiet, reserved. Like, when I told my husband this, he was like, what? I mean, if I told any of my girlfriends, anybody that's close to me, that this is the list that somebody described me. Like, that just shows me. And it's really sad, actually. It shows me. And it's interesting. It shows me the oppression that I really was under and the survival mode that I was in, that I was too afraid to be myself because my personality in real life is so like, like I wanted to be a theater major and I wanted to be on Broadway. I'm very like over the top, kind of flamboyant and dramatic and loud. And that's just who I am. That's my personality. And they, one of the themes of this group was they wanted to make sure that the children and really anybody, adults too, were never exuberant and not like just full of life and joyful and themselves and, you know, really confident and had, you know, strong personalities. Like they wanted, when I say they, I don't really know who the they is, but they, whatever the powers that be, wanted us to be broken down, broken down. And they used the, the cruelest of cruelest tactics. But if they saw us being a little too happy, if we give a little too much of a happy, joyful answer of any sort of question, if we showed a little bit too much interest in our hobbies, like I had to keep all of my interest of my hobbies on the down low. Like I couldn't be like, I'm so excited about being in this play. Like, I love it. I have such this passion, like our passions and our desires. I'll just speak for myself. My passions, my desires, my longings, my dreams, my wishes, my my thoughts and my feelings, like just everything, my personality, just everything was just like automatically a sin to this group. Just from childhood all the way up, it was sin. It was Satan. And I was just taught to doubt myself, like not listen to myself, that all of my thoughts and things and all those kind of things are just automatically sin, 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 bad, bad, bad. You are bad, bad, bad. If you want that, then you're bad. You don't have a servant's heart. If you want to, if you want to choose your own career path and you want to choose something for yourself, then you're obviously not following God's will. You obviously don't care about God's will. You obviously don't, you obviously have pride in your, you obviously have sin in your, you know, it just is like, they broke down any of our, any of our good stuff, our good nature. And so that is the common theme there. That definitely And it's was crazy that it happens during a time when your personality is developing. You're starting to realize who you are during those years and you're trying to get comfortable with it. 
and you were robbed of that opportunity. And I, I think a lot of those kids were robbed of this opportunity. Definitely a hundred percent. And, you know, just being a parent now and having children and seeing the different stages of, and, you know, obviously I'm not a parenting expert or a psychologist or anything, but just, you know, from my experience in this group and then being a parent and seeing my children and their, you know, natural innocence. And, you know, like my little boy is jumping all around and he's, he wants to be Spider-Man and like my daughter, her, you know, she's 11. So she's like a preteen. So she has a little bit of like an attitude, you know, she's sassy. And, you know, all of these things are probably very natural, and just come with their different stages of development. And I just know that I see how I was this child that was totally just demonized. And just it wasn't just me, it was all of us. And just, you know, taught that we basically were just so, so, so bad for just showing any, I mean, I, this is part of this story is that I spent so much time in church. It was like six days a week, at least six days a week after school and everything. And we had to sit there and just be so quiet and just not make a peep and not, you know, you can't look, make the wrong facial expression. You can't sit in the wrong chair. I mean, it's just so, so controlling and limited and just yeah i think it really did squelch our or my childhood development and i don't even know in what ways because you know i'm not an expert and i'm still trying to kind of like sort this all out because it's it's really really intricate like there's just a real intricate web that i can see that is of my mind i feel like a little bit of a frankenstein from this group so that is kind of where i am right now in my healing journey or healing process is I really want to unravel these things and to take a look at like each individual topic and try to work through it. And I feel like, you know, it's good for probably a lot of people, hopefully that can relate or relate to this experience in some way. So that's kind of my next project is that I'm, I'm working on. I'm working on a book or a book series about you know, different things, just exploring and just being curious about my own, my own issues, my own challenges from growing up in this environment. And so I have, I'm working on a new podcast where I want to have like cult experts and child psychologists and, you know, all kinds of people, kind of <laughs> professionals <laughs> to help me. And I think that helping me in like a public way is going to hopefully help other people as well that maybe aren't brave enough to go get help or not brave enough to say this is something that I was a part of and I and it is affecting me it's affecting my life because I'm telling you that this this group and everything that happened and growing up in this has affected my life every single day it there's no quick fix and there's no moving on for me like this is now like the what my life is all about. And it is like the passion of my life now because it affects every part of my life. It affects how I communicate with people, how I see myself, how I see other people, how I parent, how I respond to different situations, you know, different circumstances like challenges, you know, relationships, like what kind of man that I fall in love with, you know, it just affects so many things. Like the list goes on and on and on. It literally never ends. So. I've had a lot of healing and growth, thankfully, through all of this like healing work I've done, especially because of this podcast. But there's so much more, you know, and it's like I said, it's just such it's so heavy duty and it's so intricate. So that's kind of where I'm You've talked about next. Sorry. Got you. Now you talked about a lot of people from high school reaching out to you. I think it's because like when we were all in high school, I think nobody feels secure like I mean, I remember I, I, I didn't particularly like school. I was also more like on the acting upside. So I always just felt like an issue. And I think that's how a lot of high schoolers are. But then you've got that added little bit on it. Now, what does it felt like to have so many people reach out and, you know, give you that outpouring? Cause like, I, I didn't know about it. So when I hear about this, I, it makes me flash back in my mind to high school and I'm like, how do you, how do you go through high school and how do you become a productive adult after going through all that in your formative years? And were you nervous for people that you grew up with to hear your story? 
I was so nervous to do this podcast season one. I like before I did it, I was like, I was so terrified, but I knew I had to do it for me. It's like I it was like I was on fire. Like I like had this fire lit and this light bulb turn on and I just knew I had to do it for me. And I just didn't care what at the end of the day, I was like, I don't care what anybody says or what how anybody feels about it. I have to do it for me. And what what's weird is I had to do it for me in a public way. It wasn't just like, oh, I have to just write in my journal what happened. Like I have to, because I was, I stuffed it down in such a huge way for so long. This story of this group, I, it's like, I don't want us to all die. And this story of this group to be just swept under the rug and no one to tell the truth and no one to say what really happened. And the truth is, is I still don't feel like I've gotten to the bottom of the truth because I still feel like there's more, but you know, I was terrified about releasing it. And there were so many emotions that went went into it. But I did get an outpouring of support from anyone and everyone you can imagine. And I've not had any like backlash or any negative anything, which it's been kind of a miracle for me because I, a lot of the people of the group have just, you know, given me positive feedback, like, you know, it, it helps start conversations within the group of them realizing like this was a cult. And that's what's important, I think, is for everybody to start, you know, this discourse, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's people that feel like they did nothing wrong that might discover, hopefully would discover thing on. Yeah, I think it would be great for people to continue to have the hard conversations. This is not easy stuff. We have to, uh, first of all, accept that (laughs) it's not easy. It's not it's not fun stuff, but we have to have these difficult conversations so that we can help each other kind of like unlock this box so that this is my opinion so that we can like help unlock each other and help heal. And so I, you know, and then the outpouring of the, you know, the contact and the like reaching people reaching out to me and connecting with me from high school is like, it's so wonderful because I, I've never felt like I really was a part of that group or part of the community and part of the high school, like like everybody else, because, and I'm so, so thank you for saying that you also, you know, you feel like everyone secure and uncomfortable because I don't know if I'm going to remember everyone, like, you know, and that's scary to me, but also, you know, I don't know what they remember of me. I don't know what I remember of myself. I don't know if they're going to, you know, walk up to me and be like, you're a witch. You know, I don't, I don't have any clue, like, you know, so it's just like those scary, like things that I have thought of, but you know, that's all probably that programming of something bad's going to happen to you. I have that program because that's really what was like kind of programmed into me is like something bad is going to happen to you at all times. You know, that feeling of unsafe, being unsafe, but the people that have reached out to me, I just, it feels so great. I can't even tell you. It, it really means the world to me. So thank you very, very much to everybody from the community and from the high school and from our high school and from, from our school. It just, it, I've had nothing but support and people rooting for me. And it's just beautiful. I didn't, I didn't even imagine that that would happen. You know? I know, even this interview, I feel like it's at least a year or two in the making. It, It had to be Mm -hmm. at the right time. And it's glad that it came at this time because early on, I mean, I just created a podcast for a place to talk pro wrestling to get out my awful jokes. And, (laughs) you know, like that's where it started. But now that it's gone on and especially like getting inspiration from your podcast, seeing that like real stories could be told. And that's why I created this Working Fans Presents to have a place to feature other things that aren't that. And this podcast has always, you know, you've always been on my radar because just the school thing. And one thing that's, it's kind of been weird about this interview, but it's such like a call from people that really have like little, like no little of each other. So I like that reconnecting and, you know, building these bonds that, you know, weren't there. So I got to ask about this group. We've talked so much about you and your past. <laughs> this group, and I mean, you should like, I don't mean that in a dismissive way because anybody that tells their story, it needs to be featured. But listening to all these episodes, I've got questions about this group. So are they yes. still around in any form? So it's kind of, it's a little complicated of a question and an answer, but I want to tell you, I want to, 
like tell you what I know. So I left the year 2002, I believe. I left when I was 18. The minute I was 18, I applied to college behind my parents' back and got the hell out of there. So people obviously stayed for whoever knows how long. And then the, I'm still kind of exploring and digging into the story here of what's going on, what is happening now, what ha- what happened, because the church in England did implode. The church in England, supposedly, which I, I really pray to God that nothing is still going on in England, but, you know, I don't know what ha- ever happened to these characters. There's characters in England that we haven't even explored yet on my podcast, but Cyro is dead. The prophet is dead. The church did continue. And from what I'm hearing and gathering is that the church continued in the same way, like still the interrogations, still the interrogations of like a really weird, gross, like perverted sexual nature. Um, Cause that's like a big part of this story that there were just like perverts everywhere, like just like all over the place. And I don't really know. I don't know. It just like, it just, it just feels like a very, like, I don't know how to like, like uh, really dig into this, but like, it's just kind of like, where was that all coming from? You know, I really don't understand that part still. And I still want to get to the bottom of that. But anyway, so the church in England did implode because they, I guess, created some sort of play, this massive play that they were going to create this huge production. And I guess the money, the finances fell apart and it, it just kind of imploded. And then the church in Connecticut supposedly closed. And then now there is a church that is called Castle Church in Connecticut, in Norwich, and that is run by Adam Bowles. Do you know who Adam Bowles is? The name doesn't sound familiar, but I'm sure I'm familiar with him if he's from the area. He did go to our high school. Him and Sarah Bowles, Adam Bowles and Sarah Bowles, their brother and sister, they did go to our high school, but they're a few years older than us. And so he's the pastor of the church. And then, you know, Faith Werberly's family, like her sister, Louisa Bowles, that is Adam Bowles' wife. And so then her brother, Jono Bowles, or Jono Wiberly, he is in the church and his wife is in the ministry. So, I mean, it's kind of like, to me, I'm like, this is the same family. But from what I'm hearing it from different members, okay, they're saying that this is completely different. It's a 180. There's no judgment. It's There's no interrogations. It's nothing like that. It's no pressure. It's just like a normal, regular Christian church. So like, I can't be the one to judge, make that judgment call. You know, I've come to terms with that. Like, I don't go to the church, you know, I'm never going to go to the church. I can't be the one to make the judgment call. If y'all want to go to the church, good luck with that. But there are sermons online. And I guess I'm giving the, the, in promoting Castle Church, because I'm telling you, you can go to their website and you can watch their sermons online and just judge for yourself. Like you can make your own judgment calls, you know, but I've talked to a number of people that go to Castle Church and they've all told me like, the moment I feel uncomfortable, I'm out. So supposedly they just, they don't feel uncomfortable. They do feel free. You know, I, my biggest thing is like, I want people to be able to think for themselves and I want people to be able to feel comfortable and safe and free and be able to think for themselves. And, you know, so that's my main thing. So, you know, I can't, I can't answer that question of like, if it's a safe environment or not, you know, but I have always liked Adam. I like personally just, you know, of course I always loved John Hibbert. I always loved, you know, certain individuals in King Chapel because like, I never had experiences with them. Like, because you have to understand that they, each of the ministers were kind of like designated to each, you know, to the different families. So like John Monaghan was kind of like the dude that oversaw my particular family. Like all these leaders had different families underneath their little umbrella. And I didn't have, like John Hibbert was in England. I never saw him when I was a little girl. I just like, adored him and you know now finding out about all this different abuse with all these different leaders it's like oh my god so but with adam i mean i've only ever had positive awesome experiences with adam he's always been supportive of like forever and he i he's always been nice to me so i don't want to tell you like go to castle church or don't go to castle church like i just don't feel like that's my judgment call but you know supposedly it's not an offshoot but it's the same like kind of people so i don't i don't yeah, it's kind of know. derivative, but it might, <laughs> it might not be like the spiritual success. I've got to ask about a lot of these characters because 
I, I gotta ask at what age you stopped believing because there was one thing that was said about Cyro that I'm, I'm not even gonna call her Cyro. I gotta call her Jean because as an adult, <laughs> I've tried not to call people by nicknames. And if my prophet has a nickname, I gotta have questions. But then she also liked watching Jerry Springer. So is that something you found out later? And at what age did you stop believing in the group? Because like I started looking at Gene a lot more skeptically while listening to these episodes. One, when hearing that she was banging her head against the radiator when hearing <laughs> voices, which I don't know if that's necessarily how religious prophets start. But then what, what prophet finds entertainment in Jerry Springer? And I realized this was early 2000s when Springer was popping off. But it's also like, it, how do you get entertained by that? It's sick. Yeah, that is the word. Sick. Like, I think I have, I can't, like, it just, all of this kind of still like boggles my mind. So let me just explain something to you really quick before I even go, like, because there's two parts to your answer, or two parts to your question. So one part of the answer is, I stuffed this stuff down after I left the group and I was just in survival mode, trying to survive, trying to build a life for my own self that I and I also was like being gaslit by certain individuals that were just like, no, it's a nice church. You should come back. So I really, it got to a point where after so many years, I didn't even know if this was real or not. Like I, I would have nightmares. I would have flashbacks. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, this was real trauma. So I would have real flashbacks, real nightmares. I mean, real dark, dark depression. And I would have no clue if this stuff in my subconscious was real or not. Because no one was validating it for me. That was one of the reasons why I created Cult in Connecticut. Because I needed someone to validate this stuff. So once I started talking to these people that were willing. There was only a few people that were willing to be contributors. To be on my podcast and tell their story. It really helped me. Because I thought I was the only person that went to England. That was the only teen. I didn't even. First of all. I didn't even know if I actually went to England or not. Like. It got to a point where I was like gaslighting myself, if that's even a thing, to where like I would have all these dreams about Cyro. And I'm sorry, I do call her Cyro, but most people are like, I will not call her that. Her name is Jean Spademan. But I just think she's like this evil character and that's her evil like, you know, character name. So but I like the thought of that, like an alter ego. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's like, you know, Venom. <laughs> she's like a, a, what is it called? Like a, um, not a super, it's a super villain. <laughs> yeah. She's kind of like if you melded, like, this might be hyperbole, but I would say, like, if you put Venom and Hitler together and, like, <laughs> because, like, just the way, just the level of control. And then this dude, John, I got to get to him next because he's helping convey her message. Yet on the newest episode, you said two of the things he wanted to be were an actor and something else. I think it was actor. I think yeah, it was just and actor. it's like, what kind of, I can see as a preacher wanting to get some theatrics down, but like, to me, you're in that for godly purposes. So why do you want to be an actor? And it's, yeah. it's those little details. Sorry to off rail your answer, but those little details about John and Gene that I'm like, Ooh, these people were in collusion to do something big. And I don't know what it is. It's not good. It's not good. That's for sure. We all know that. Well, at least we can all agree on that. So when I started getting all of these um, stories, you know, I was in my, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, but I was in my closet, like recording the interviews and listening to these stories. And I'm like, in fetal position in, in my like, in my closet, like on the floor, like kind of crying, because I'm like, oh my God, I'm finally being validated. Like my subconscious, these memories and these nightmares of these flashbacks are real. They're kind of, they're, this, this is a real thing. Like it's kind of shocking. Sometimes I still wake up in the morning while I'm bringing my kids to school. I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. And this really did happen. Like this is so crazy and so bogus sometimes. But, you know, especially when I find out new information, I'm like, what? You know, I still find out more information. It's just like, what? Especially when someone was describing Cyro and saying that she loved the weird, what What are they called? Those magazines, the, like National Enquirer, the tabloids. Oh, tabloids. Yeah, she loves the, ta she loved the tabloids. She loved Jerry Springer. And just certain things I have found out about her, about how like sexual and perverted she was. And I just, yeah, it's like kind of shocking. But I wanted to tell you the second part of your question is when did I kind of, when was I like, okay, you know, my eyes are 
open, this is like not good, was when I was basically in England, I was like this, all of this is made up. Because like, I did know from uh, as a little girl, looking back, I can see that I was very, very, very uncomfortable and feeling unsafe the majority of the time. Like my stomach was always in knots. Like I've always had like digestive issues and like my stomach's always hurt and like all that stuff when I was a little girl onward because I was always stressed out because I was like under so much pressure of just needing to be perfect and just being like scared out of my mind. So I always knew when I was growing up, like this isn't, there was something inside of me as like an innocent child that was saying like, this isn't love. Like this isn't, especially like comparing it to like people that are nice and sweet and like, you know, (laughs) I wasn't taught to like listen to my feelings and listen to like, Hey, what feels good and what doesn't feel good. You know, I was actually taught that like feeling good was actually a sin. So, (laughs) you know, I was really confused my whole life, but what really took the cake for me and what really helped me crack open this was the story of what happened to me when I was in England. I was basically, and I won't tell you the whole story, but basically like tricked into this trip. Like as a teenager, I was tricked into this trip to go to England. And I remember Nate Pepin saying to me, I'm never going to see you again. I remember I was in the hallway right in front of the theater. I was in the hallway and I remember Solon was pissed too. I, he was like, yeah, Solon was pissed too. He threw a Bible at me. He's like, for this, he said something like for this. And he like threw it at me. And I was like, whoa, what's his problem? And then Nate was like, I'm never going to see you again. Nate would be the one to say that too. And I was just like, what is wrong with these dudes? What's up with these dudes? But now I know what was up with those dudes. <laughs> because what's so strange is, is listening to one of the, one of the contributors say like that their child went to England. I was, and went through these interrogations and this other child went to England and went through these interrogations. Like basically you got sent there to be brainwashed and to be mentally tortured and tormented. That's why you got sent there. I truly like, I don't know if it was a conscious thing. Like it's, this is one of the things about my story in my life that I don't understand if I, it was all done on purpose or not, because my parents ended up getting divorced while I was in like, which is so weird. Like why did my, my mom was in England and she got, she divorced my dad while he was in Connecticut. Like she decided to separate from him. And then like, I came back and I never saw my house again. I never saw my stuff. I never saw my cat, my childhood home. I like, I had to, you know, not be able to talk to my father anymore. Like all of this stuff happened while I was in England. And I knew that what they were saying about me was lies. And I had to, to admit to these things that were not true. And they were, of course, all intangible stuff. You think you know everything. You think you know you're better than everyone. You you're, you have pride, like all of this stuff. And I was just like, no. It was the first time that I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to give them the answer that they want. And I am going to stand strong. And then things got worse and worse and worse for me over there. And they were just trying to break me down, trying to break me down. And then I really actually like black out at that point where I don't really remember like, the ins and outs of what I did there. Like, I don't remember what I did, like where I was a zombie over there. Like, I don't know what I, what even happened to me over there. I don't understand. I don't know. I have no memories. I blacked out. Won't probably ever remember. All I remember is that at, like on Christmas, I was sitting there or at around Christmas time, right before we came home from England, like my mom sat me and my little brother down, just a child. He was like six years old or something. He was like tiny. I don't know. How old was he? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was 10. He was 10. I was 16. He was 10. And she, she said, we're not going back home to your home, to our home. Like, we're going to go live with a different family from the church, which was the McFalls. Do you remember Heather McFall? Yes. We went to their, their house. And I never saw my house again. Like, it just was done in like a very, very, very dramatic, weird way. And that's when I was just like, I'm done. I have to plan my escape. And I tried to escape several times. I tried to run away. Uh, I had some friends that were school friends that tried to help me. And they, my mom scared them. Like, there were a few people that scared these people, my friends. And they were like, I'm sorry, I can't help you because I'm scared. Yeah, um, it seems like with this group, it's a lot of, like, adults imposing their will on children because – 
listening to these episodes, what really gets me is the amount of adults that are willing to accuse kids of sexual things. And in this day and age, I almost can't believe that it would fly. Like when Faith was saying the things that she didn't even know what she was being accused about, but she was being introduced to all these things. It just felt so that's where the word sick came from. Cause I'm like, Jean should, if she is any kind of prophet or leader, she should have known better than to talk to children about this. Like that just seems like that crossed the line. Yeah. There were so many inappropriate things that were being <laughs> exposed to children. Children were being exposed to so many inappropriate things that are not okay. And to me, I don't really know because I don't like, I'm just this, li I'm just this like, survivor from this church. I really don't know what I'm saying. I don't know if there's any, like, all I'm doing is kind of following my gut, but I think there has to be, that it has to be some sort of form of sexual abuse because you were, you know, the children, like when I was a child, I was, you know, by John Monahan. John Monahan put me in a car and the backseat of his car drove me around and told me that I had lust in my heart and I didn't know what it meant. And I had to admit to it. Like, you don't have a choice. I didn't have a choice to say no I don't know what that is or I don't what is that or no you know like you don't don't you just don't have that particular situation and it got way worse for other people than what happened to me obviously like with Faith's situation Faith's situation is just like heinous 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 and cruel and it just like it's got to be a form of sexual abuse it's got to be like in my opinion but I don't know <laughs> like I don't know anything about the law or you know, anything like that. But, you know, it was, it was more than that. Like when you, when we were adolescents, as adolescent children and, you know, preteens and teenagers, we were targeted for having sexual feelings and sexual thoughts. And like, you know, like people were being interrogated, like you want to masturbate, you want to watch porn, you want to do this. And you're you like, yeah, we're 17. Like, what else do you think life is? It's yeah, been... it's like this natural thing that happens to every human. It's like they turned it and used it against you to really shame you, to really control you. And I just want to understand, like, why is was that? Why did you pick that? Is it because you were perverted or is it because that is that the easiest way to control somebody to, like, make them feel shame in, like, the sexual area, like, in that topic? Or, like, why? You know, why did you, like, do that to the children? Like, why did you do that to each other? It was to each other, too, like when when they got to be adults it was like you want to have an affair with this person's wife and you want to have an affair with that person's wife and you're thinking sexual thoughts about this person and that's what like, i couldn't understand like when people are getting divorced and then the two sets each other and then hey i'm gonna move you out of this apartment and this other person's gonna move in like you have to listen to these episodes to believe these stories but just that kind of thing i'm like wow everybody was getting worked in this situation yes i don't i mean everybody even probably the leaders were going through their own interrogations of each other and like you know not saying that they're like innocent because but i'm you know i'm sure every single person went through it like went through this mind control and this like weirdness you I know, mean, Jean's getting interrogated by the voices in her own head. So I can't imagine how it's going <laughs> Yeah, I know. Who was people. interrogating Cyro? I guess nobody was interrogating Cyro. And I bet nobody was really, I don't know if maybe anybody was interrogating John Hebert. I mean, maybe Cyro. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't think, I don't know if that ever happened. I now, John know. Hibbert, is that guy still alive? That is, if Jean isn't like the number one villain in this, that guy has to pull a close number two, like, helping facilitate all this. Yeah, and I, I kind of just want to know what the heck? Like, what is he like just, is he mentally ill? Like, is he like just believe this stuff? Or is he like a, like, is he a, like an evildoer? Like, what is, what is up with him? Like, what I don't understand, you know? Like, it, it still like really boggles my mind. And, but yeah, he is still alive. He's still writing his books. He has books. If any of you guys, I guess I'm promoting John Hibbert. Um, <laughs> he does have books. He has some gobbledygook out there. If any of y'all want to read it, he is, I guess on Facebook and he, he actually, I saw, I saw a poem, a Christmas poem that he wrote before Christmas. And I, I, it kind of made me giggle a little bit and 
he he you know writes poetry he writes books he's like an author or something i don't know um but yeah he's still alive he's still kicking he's still doing his thing he's still you know writing about the lord the lord jesus christ that in itself is wild like just i i've got to say it again you have to listen to these episodes because you know we're getting to know naomi today and getting for her to tell a little more of her truth but in each of these episodes each guest gets to tell their own truth. And, you know, I want to keep into this show. You have to, especially like I still live in Jewett city. So my number one thing is what cult comes to Jewett city. And is like, this is the place. <laughs> Jewel like, do they city. just see us and they're <laughs> like, Oh, these people can easily be manipulated. Or did they just find such kind people that like, at what point did this whole thing turn the tide? Because they couldn't have started out as a cult. Like, when did it go from big religious family to something deeper? Or is that a question you haven't even discovered yet? I guess the, you know, when John Hibber and Cyro and that whole ministry team from England came over to evangelize and find a church over here in the United States to work with, I guess I don't know where they went, like all the different areas that they went, but they found this one group that was willing to work with them. And it was this group in Jewett city. And I think it's where like, you know, downtown Jewett city, I think it's where the subway is. I think, is there a subway there still? I don't know. It, but I think it used to be a subway. It's been a Mexican food mart. It's an empty place. Now it's right next to what's kind of like a legal weed shop, but it's right across the street <laughs> from the sicko in Main Street, Jewett City, if you are. It's so sad because that town is so cute. And, you know, I was just, I was just talking about this today on my Instagram that like the town that I grew up in, the borough of Griswold that I grew up in was hopeful. And I can't believe that's the name of it. It just kind of occurred to me today. It was called Hopeville. It was just so crazy. But you know, Jewett City was like a little cute little town. And I guess, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but Cyro had a vision that, or something from the Lord that said, it's not Jewett City, it's Jewel City. And it is a light on the hill for the rest of the world. So <laughs> this community, yeah. I'll let you laugh We're not even a light on the hill for the, for the surrounding towns. I love, I love that she had such high hopes for us. <laughs> Hopeful. Hey, she had hope for Hopeful. So, yeah, I mean, she wanted everyone to live in walking distance in Jewish City. And most of the families did live. Did you know this? That most of the families lived within walking distance in Jewish City? Yeah, I from each you other? said it in one of the episodes because you... Yeah. There was somebody that was like one of the only families that had to drive in and they were almost like pressured to live in the city. Me, it was us. It was my That's family. That's what I thought. Yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't just my family. I'm sure there were lots of other families that like, you know, if you live in Lisbon or if you live in, you know, that area, then you are not right with God because God has this vision and he wants us to all be, you know, the light on the hill together, like kind of like take over this little town and, you know, for Jesus. <laughs> so it is really interesting that this community, they flew under the radar and the leaders had business in this area. and the the people of this area this community like really didn't understand what was really going on for the most part you know they just thought oh it's like a really extra religious christian church they didn't really know like like the level of abuse and that was taking place and actually people inside the group didn't even know about the level of abuse that was taking place in different ways so you know like because some people they didn't have a horrible experience like some people just you know were weren't were kind of left alone for whatever reason but so these interrogations weren't known throughout the group it wasn't talked about it was yeah it was definitely known i mean there is oh, okay. not one person that didn't know about the interrogation that right there that is something that there is there's no way i would believe that there's not a person that didn't know about the interrogations we all either knew somebody or we were the target and going through them ourselves or we knew of someone else being accused of something and it's like you need to treat them you need to like not talk to these people and treat them like shit because they are this sinner that is not right with Jesus because they're, you know, they are th doing this, this X, 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 Y, and Z. So 
we definitely knew there was definitely an understanding there of we have to treat this person not good because they're not as right with Jesus as this other person. There definitely was this level of what would you call it hierarchy or like people call it a totem pole. Like there definitely was something there. Whatever it is, it's not religious because you would think if you were like purely behind God and you saw that your brother wasn't where you thought they should be, your goal, I would think as a godly person would be to bring them up, you know, to kind of reach out to them, not to seal them off. But I mean, it shows you kind of what this group was about and how they went about their business. Absolutely. Because, you know, when I decided like I'm going to college, my family cut ties, my mother cut ties with, and then like, you know, people that like would wanted to leave the church, it's like they're excommunicated or, you know, people that wanted to do this or that they were just, you know, shunned. So definitely, you know, the way that they approached things just was, there was no like real like kindness or like, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's how, that's how they thought that they were going to win someone back is by like pushing them away. And just like, you know, and like, they thought that those people would come back and grovel or something. And that's the only way that they really knew how to do relationships. Like, I guess, you know, and communicate enough, they could come back. Well, they would drag themselves back. You know, uh, somebody at the top created this environment that this is the way we communicate with each other. And this is the way that we do things. This is the way that we communicate with the outside world, you know, but as what I was talking about before is the community not really knowing what was going on. And there were businesses like Sam Ruberly Tire and, you know, Kevin Hamill had a construction business, Hamill Construction, I believe it was called. There were businesses that were legit businesses in this community that I think it would be really interesting to for the people in this, more people in this community to, that had more interactions with these businesses to really, not just the businesses, but just these people, to just hear more of, from these, from the community, like from Norwich, people in Norwich, people in Jewett City. You know, it's interesting to hear from them and to hear, because like I said, a lot of it flew Yeah, there's and- a lot of interesting work situations that I'm sure the federal government would have been happy to catch up with them on. Like just the amount, I don't want to ruin too much from the podcast, but the amount- yeah that people were working for free or working well under their worth was alarming to me because as an adult, I'm like, even if I'm like, if I'm friends with you, yes, I'll help out. But then at some point it's like, you you almost got to pay somebody if they're doing 60, 70 hours at your business. Right. Yeah. And then there's also this whole element of these people from Honduras that they they would come in and probably I'm still kind of digging to the getting to the bottom of it but there were people from Honduras that would be kind of like shipped over to work you know for free wow (laughs) so I mean I'm like is this like a kind of like slavery situation I mean like like what is going on here you know when you talked about people cleaning up in other people's houses and like people going over to England just to do work I'm like ooh, that sounds like some kind of indentured servitude borderline slavery thing going on there kind of feels like that to me and I don't know I'm still like looking into it but something's not right like you know something's not right with the whole Honduras thing they have multiple charities I still haven't even dug into that like there's more to be you know and I think that the whole like like obsession with this sexual you know thing is there's got to be more to that there's got to be more to that. I think people, there's got to be like, that. like, I can't help but think that there were sexual predators in this group. I just can't help but think that, you know, and I'm, I know that that's like, I'm not accusing any one particular person, but it's just like this gut feeling like there's got to, there's, I feel, I felt like there was more to this before and I was right and I'm feeling it again. Yes. And that's why we're going to be excited to see where this podcast goes. Now, I'm going to kind of end on a three part question because you've been so gracious with your time and we haven't even covered everything I'd hope to talk about. So when your book is closer to coming out or your new podcast, I would love to have you back on. But the are how after this whole experience, where are you with God? Kind of how do you come to that point? And what do you have coming up and what would you like to promote? 
So I'm working on, uh, well, I'm still working on new episodes of Colt in Connecticut, and I don't know where that will lead because I don't know who is willing to talk to me and to tell me some truths and, you know, who wants to help me get to the bottom of this? Sometimes it just really feels like people really don't want to like uncover anymore. So I really don't know it, what, what the future holds for Colton, Connecticut. So I can't answer that question. I'm working on a new podcast to kind of explore the psychological aftermath of this type of trauma and what I've gone through my own, my own trauma and my own, you know, stuff that I've gone through and a book about that. But where I am with God <laughs> quote unquote. Um, I am not a Christian. That's for sure. I know that. Um, I am just kind of more, you know, into exploring what I want to, you know, kind of being curious about life. I want to know who I am. I want to explore, I guess, like my my gut instincts and my gut feelings and kind of get more connected back to myself, like my inner child, I guess, or whatever you would want to call it. And I think that is spirituality to me, you know, so I've been really trying to focus on self care. And to me, I feel like that ha that in itself really brought a lot of spirituality into my life, like, you know, just slowing things down and just meditating and, you know, taking some deep breaths and learning how to really you know, heal mentally and emotionally has been, has kind of like spiritual dimension for me, to where I do feel more connected to my higher, uh, to a higher power, you know, but I wouldn't probably call it Jesus. And I probably wouldn't call it, you know, I don't know, like, there were moments where I wasn't really comfortable with calling some, some moments I am actually comfortable with calling it, you know, sometimes I still say like, thank you, Jesus. But that's just kind of out of habit. But what I'm really saying is like, you know, those moments of gratitude, or those moments of love, like with my children and everything, I do feel like a lot of moments of gratitude where I do say like, thank you, Jesus, or thank you, God, or thank you, universe, or whatever you may want to call it. But um, I'm not really like into, as you can probably imagine, like labels, and li like limited thinking and putting myself in a box and having to pressure myself or force myself to think a certain way. Like I want to be open minded. And just go with like what feels right and feels good to me. And, you know, my truth has changed a lot over the years. I was a Christian for a very, very long time. I was a Christian for over 30 years, like a devout Christian. And I've realized like there's some things that make me feel uncomfortable. And to get back in touch with that has been really like a beautiful thing for me, you know? So with myself and discovering things about myself. And a part of that is like, exploring and look, you know, like reading literature that's outside of the Christian realm, you know, and, you know, learn, like being open to learning and being open to being curious and discovering and exploring. And I kind of have just have realized for me, I feel like that's what life is about. And that's what they try to take away from me. That's what they try to rob me from. It's like they try to put me in this tiny, tiny, tiny box. And like everything else is demonized. Everything else is bad. Like, you know, yoga was, was bad. Like yoga was terrible, you know, like all these different things. And, you know, when I left the group and I just felt like I had no identity left whatsoever, you know, someone mentioned like, like I'm a Scorpio and someone mentioned like something about Scorpios. And it really brought me like some level of healing to know like, oh my gosh, you know, that is, that kind of describes me. And that means that I'm not just like a total sinner and a big, huge mistake and a big, huge, bad thing. Like, you know, this is a part of who I am. And this always was, this always was going to be a part of who I am because I'm a Scorpio. So like, it makes sense that I would be like this, that I would be curious, that I would want to explore, that I would like mystery, that I would be so passionate. You know, none of those things are, are bad or wrong. Like that's just who I am. And, you know, nobody is like just bad and wrong for just like naturally being you know who they are so like I'm definitely not you know long story short I'm just like a little bit more open-minded than I was before yeah I think as I've gotten older and gotten out of like because I was raised Catholic and I find the best way to almost honor you know God or like the divine spirit whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. is just to be a good person and just to kind of experience what life has like 
explore who you are get to learn good literature like read good literature go see good art you know explore the world as being a good person so i think that's the best way to almost honor god is just like explore his creation like exactly like explore life like that's why we're here i mean that's like how i is this is my personal opinion that's why we're here is to like explore life to you know be curious and to just you know do what our heart whatever we desire whatever is like oh that's like that feels good to me like to just like take a cooking class or to do this or that like you know to be true to ourselves like that is you know what quote unquote god wants for us like that's what i was always taught is like god only wants one thing for you and it's what i say god wants for you but i think it's more like there really isn't like like you can you have free will and you can kind of create your own life and like you know they're clapping up there in heaven they're like yay good job like we're always rooting for you like we're we always are happy for you you know that's kind of how i look at it now yeah. you know like as long as you're really being true to yourself and uh that's and enjoying you know life like that's like they're like you know like the angels are clapping and happy for you rooting for you and they're you know like that's kind of how i see it (laughs) and i can't think of a better note to end this on because we had a lot of bright spots here but we hit some dark areas and (laughs) i was just happy to have you on be able to share your story more and we'll have to have you on again because this was a podcast that more people need to hear Thank you very much for having me on. And also, thank you for everything you said. I really appreciate it. No problem. We'll have you on again. And thank you for joining us. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Instagram, working fans wrestling underscore pod and then as always please continue to listen to us on anchor.fm google podcast spotify breaker overcast pocket cast radio public all your major platforms if you're following us on apple Podcasts, which we are also on now and youtube please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating it helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week 